Robert, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And that's what the response would be. Now, you can do that individually, and that's nice to do that. But I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to do it corporately. Are you with me? And I'd like us to stand, not yet though, not yet. I'd like us to stand when we do it, because when you're standing, you can give it all your energy. You can do whatever, just let it, let it out. So I'm going to say, um, he is risen, and you're going to shout it out at me and to the heaven, so much so that the building rattles and the lens on that camera up there shatters. That's what we're going to do. Are you with me on this? So please stand. So your response is, he is risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yay. Now you can sit down. Change the camera lens and let's move on. Fantastic. Just, um, uh, just regarding uh, Tammy and the, and the family, uh, Tara, Pastor Tara is coordinating uh, everything from here in terms of um, uh, some meals uh, out to Jono, etc., etc. So please don't get in touch with Jono. He's got enough on his plate. Please don't call Tammy. Um, uh, go through Tara. Uh, she will be coordinating all of that, and it may well be that what spins out of that is maybe some uh, assistance with the children, um, if that was possible for some of you. They do live, where do they live now? Amberley. Amberley. It's a little bit of a hike up there, but that, that's, that's where it is. And for visiting, uh, I will pop in after church and see her uh, again uh, this afternoon, and I'll ask her then about the visiting side of things. So until you get some feedback, just please be aware of that situation. Uh, she doesn't need to be overwhelmed. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're looking at verse 18 to 25. Now, throughout our nation today, I suspect that in the, in the thousands of church services that are occurring right now, that um, many of the, 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 the um, sermon topics will be the, um, the grave, the empty tomb. I suspect that will be the case. Uh, and that is right to do so. But this morning here, uh, we are going to talk about the empty tomb at some point towards the end because the tomb is empty. But I want to talk about the empty cross because cause here's, my, here's my contention. For there to be an empty tomb, there first had to be an empty cross, did there not? Yeah. And what are the implications for us as followers of Jesus and unbelievers as well of the empty cross. What are the implications of that? So we're reading 1 Corinthians. Uh, should come up on the screen, I think. Here it is. I'm going to read that. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? He is, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded a sign, signs and Greeks Look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those 
whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, after Jesus rose from the grave, a preacher who made a less than stunning personal impression came to the city of Corinth. He wasn't much to look at. Reports said that he was, you might be able to identify with this, some of you, I'm not sure, bow-legged, beak-nosed, and short. He didn't have a fiery, dramatic, oratorical style or the kind of elegance of expression that could lead him to fame. He writes a good letter, someone said, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. And he didn't even try to make up for these deficiencies. He st- instead, he told people, he said, I came to you in weakness. And this preacher, Paul of Tarsus, in spite of his deficiencies, proceeded to preach the most compelling message. Some would say that's ever been preached since. Paul told a story about an unemployed carpenter from Nazareth, a nobody who died a shameful death as a criminal. He was sketchy on the specifics of this man's life, but what he really wanted the people to know was this that this man that had been crucified on a cross was in fact the Son of God. Paul claimed that God had vindicated this man by raising him from the dead. Then he boldly proclaimed that this crucified man had come for the salvation of everyone, not just for Jews like Paul, but for Gentiles like them. And as it turned out, putting it into its context, amongst the crowd there, there was a bunch of religious Jews. And the way this preacher was talking was really offensive to them because every Jew knew that someone hanging on a cross was offensive. It was far from being a blessing. A crucified person was a person that was actually cursed by God. It was right there in the book of Deuteronomy. There it was. Surely Paul must have realized that he could make more converts by just telling a nice sanitized story about Jesus, something about maybe blessing the children or healing a sick person or saying something wise and spiritual. But that wasn't Paul's message. Instead, Paul said, but we preach Christ. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You know, of all the claims that about Jesus' life, his ministry, everything that Paul could have said about him, everything he could have made, it was the cross that Paul claimed was the most compelling proof of who Jesus was. Say amen. It was the most compelling. Paul knew. And he experienced from that point on that everything that would transpire through his ministry, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings, the deliverances that he performed were all because 
of one thing, the cross. I decided to know nothing among you, he said, except Jesus Christ, that is, Jesus Christ crucified. That one reality, that one truth right there was the genesis of Paul's entire ministry and it is the genesis of the church's ministry today still. So, what about the crowd he was talking to, the Corinthians in this particular case? Well, as the scripture said, yeah, you can take that off the screen now, thanks. Before Jesus came along, they understood the uh, message of salvation more intellectually than in here. Some saw the cross as offensive, and some even saw it as being foolish. Like many in society today, they were trying to rationalize God, really. They were trying to bring God down to their level of intellect, their level of understanding. So for the Corinthians, seeing God, their God hanging on a cross made absolutely no sense at all. God did? No way. That's foolish talk. Can't be true. And what Paul wanted his hearers to understand was that the message of the cross, the whole point of the cross, was that it was not about death, as they supposed. It was about life. It was about the power of resurrected life. Verse 18, the second half of it says this, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God for those that are being saved. Which raises an interesting point, doesn't it? For those that are being saved would then imply that there were those that weren't being saved, wouldn't it? See, people get to choose. Paul was just telling them the truth of what had just happened. People still get to choose. It was about life. Church, the cross can only be understood. It will only ever make sense when we accept and understand that Jesus is no longer on the cross. He's no longer there. The Roman soldiers may have nailed him to the cross, and indeed they did, but they could not keep him there. He's alive, and because he's alive, we too can be made alive through him because of the power of the empty cross. So why the empty cross? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Why the empty cross? Well, if Jesus was still on the cross, there'd be no resurrection, would there? No resurrection means no divine power. No divine power means no forgiveness for sin. No forgiveness for sin means no salvation. No salvation equals no eternal life. And no eternal life means that we today are living without hope at all any level 
We are living without hope. How many of you know, though, as followers of Jesus, we have the greatest hope the world has ever known? The greatest hope. It's a powerful, powerful principle. It's such an incredible truth. It's transformational. It helps us navigate all the challenges of life because there is something on the other side. No matter what happens, we have a hope that is secure. What do I mean then by power? I think it's important to understand this too because for the, for, the, um, for the Israelites at the time and particularly the Greeks who were so intellectual, they were pretty smart people, make no mistake, but everything went through the filter of, of intellect, you know, wisdom, the wisdom of this world. So what do I mean by power? They would have understood power in a conventional sense, but God doesn't use power in the conventional human sense. God's power to transform does not rely on force, this kind of thing, that kind of talking down to people or um, um, uh, um, um, using a physical thing to, to, to attack somebody or whatever. God doesn't use power in that way. We do, but he doesn't. The complete opposite, actually. The empty cross is not, as some suppose, a symbol of weakness and death. The empty cross invites us to a conversion of the heart, a cleansing of the soul and a renewing of the mind and the spirit. It's because of the empty cross we are able to see the whole of our life differently. How many of you remember the day you committed your life to following Jesus? Yeah? What changed? Just shout it out. What changed for you? Say, say again. Inner peace. Which would suggest to me before that there was no inner peace. Yeah? Pam? Yep. Anyone else? Belief. And you? You weren't alone. That's right. Anyone from this side? Yeah, Matt? Yeah. 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 A freshness. You come alive. Yep, hope. Anyone else? Revelation and hope. Up the back. Unashamed. Are you hearing this, church? It helps us. It, we see life completely differently, the whole of life. The cross enables us to see a world in which the poor, the sorrowful and the meek are blessed. Wow. A world in which the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers shall be called sons and daughters of God. A world in which God's nature is most fully revealed in something weak like hanging on a cross. But that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The empty cross represents the hope of new life a redeemed life, a transformed life. Wherever there is suffering and fear, wherever strength fails, wherever death is near, that is where the cross belongs. The cross says that God's suffering love is stronger than anything in our world, stronger than armies, stronger than our diplomacy, stronger than technology, stronger than the devastation of earthquakes and terrorist attacks. 
It's stronger than what evil human beings can do to each other. And listen to this, church. It is also stronger than the good that we can do. Jesus could have called on an army of angels to save him, but he didn't. He chose instead to give up his life rather than to give up on ours. You know, Jesus on the cross looked upon all the suffering of the world and he said, Father, give it to me. Took it upon himself. Everything. Every sin that you've committed or will commit. Every pain that you've borne and will bear. Took it all upon himself. And in so doing, he transformed it from being a curse, as the Corinthians thought it would be, to being a blessing. All because of the empty cross. You know, humanly... We see empty as being vacant. We see it as being probably hollow, um, in void. But God uses the power of the empty cross so that we can be filled. Can you cue that video, please? God uses the emptiness to fill us. Check this out. Mike, can you bring the team up, please? You know, if you still visit the graves of those who have founded other faiths, you'll find that they're still occupied. The good news is if you visit the grave where they lay Jesus, you'll find it empty. And the words of the angels still echoing, He is not here, church, but He has risen. We'll get to that. You know, when all is said and done, the source of all the good that we possess, everything good that we can do comes back to one thing, the power of the empty cross. 
the great news, the good news, churches, the cross is empty, the tomb is empty, the stone's been rolled away, and he is alive so that we can be filled. You know, for all of those who are believers here, which I would imagine would be the majority of you, um, he's alive in you. You carry him wherever you go. Today we come to worship together to be encouraged, to be built up again, to be energized, I hope, um, to be refilled. But he already lives in you. But if you're here today and you want what they have, you can have that too. That is available to you if you are willing. Tell someone that you want to receive Jesus into your life and I'm sure they will be able to talk you through that situation. So I say to you this morning, church, Jesus is no longer on the cross or in the tomb. Here it is. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Please stand, folks. <laughs>